Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5. And we'll get into the message in just a, a, a moment here. Um, uh, Dave Argraves, uh, I believe you have a son that's turning 50 this week. Is that correct? Why don't you stand up with your son John there. And then uh, I, I John, uh, before anyone acknowledges him, John here, he's lived a life. He's had some challenges his whole life. Uh, and Dave is, uh, has uh, uh, taken care of him uh, 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 throughout his life, and, and John's not been able to be out on his own. And uh, I just want to compliment Dave on being such an excellent father and making sure your son's taken care of. And John, I know that probably the list of friends is not long in your life, but I want you to know we have a family that loves your family, and congratulations on turning 50 this week. So let's congratulate John. Lord bless you. And you guys can be seated. Thank you so much. And I, I, I certainly am, am, am thankful that uh, Dave and just the example there, he has been taking care of his son his whole life. And so we're, we're thankful for that. Matthew chapter number 5 was the year 1960. There was a, a shoe factory in Milton, Pennsylvania that made several financial requests of the Pennsylvania Industrial Development Authority in order to expand its factory, its operations. And uh, there, was, there was customary opposition. Uh, it just advanced that theory that the local, uh, or, uh, the local authorities uh, didn't think this factory was of any special importance and, and they were just not willing to give the permits to expand the factory. So to show its influence, the Milton Area Chamber of Commerce, they suggested to the Milton Shoe Manufacturing Company that they make payment uh, to its employees uh, in silver dollars instead of the customary paper currency. And so the Milton Shoe Factory ordered a half ton of silver dollars. And uh, on April the 27th of 1961, the Milton Shoe Company paid all of its employees in silver dollars. And so in order to show the impact of the Milton Shoe Company in this local economy, silver dollars began to pour into grocery stores and to movie theaters and to restaurants and into the filling stations. And the silver dollars had all been forgotten as a legal tender. Um, but everywhere, all of the employees were now making transactions in silver dollars. The influence of the Milton Shoe Company was better understood. And very quickly, the Pennsylvania Industrial Development Authority removed their opposition to the expansion of the factory. And the permit was granted and thus approved. And some 75 new factory jobs were created. I believe this is an incredible story about the power of influence. We all have influence. And every single person seated here under my voice or whether you're watching by live stream and thank you for joining us by live stream, every single person has a varying degree of influence. 
And that's where our passage of Scripture comes into play this morning in Matthew chapter number 5 as we read a story where Jesus teaches us that we have influence. Drop down to verse number 13 and follow along. The Bible says in Matthew 5 and verse number 13, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out, to be trodden under the foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. And then he gives this direct command to all of us uh, through the teaching to his disciples. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Father, thank you that we can enter to your presence. Father, thank you that we can meet around your word. Thank you for the word that's already been sung. Uh, may it have been pleasing to you. Father, I ask that as we have the spoken word now, that your Holy Spirit would meet with us. That your Holy Spirit would convict and embrace uh, those who are downtrodden. Father, that your Holy Spirit will encourage those who need a, a dose of encouragement. But Father, would your word also challenge those who are just not doing right. And they need a kick in the seat of the pants. Father, I pray that your word and your Holy Spirit will be able to do that today. Father, be with us right now. May only words be spoken that you approve of in Jesus' name. Amen. How would you describe influence? Well, Webster's Dictionary defines it this way. It is the capacity of causing an effect in direct or intangible ways. I think that's pretty vague. What does that mean? I think influence is the ability to cause someone to see things from your point of view. And if you were asked to list some influential people uh, in your life, you might uh, mention some presidents or a scholar or a general or a politician or some other man or woman of, of considered great power, someone who's going on before you that you would say, man, they were really important. But I think if we really look at our own personal lives and examine our own personal individual lives, some of the most influential people in our lives are the least noticed or the least appreciated. Think about it for a moment. Some of those people in your life that have influenced you has been a mother who has patiently loved and taught you as her child. For others, it's a dad who is neither powerful nor famous, but he taught his children by giving them a consistent, godly example in the home. For some of you, as a high school coach who was more interested in building you as a young man or you as a young woman than he was for making a name for himself. For some, it might be your growth group teacher, someone who tirelessly prepares during the week to bring you a lesson from the Word of God. Beyond that, remembers your, um, your birthday and your anniversary and, and prays for you when you're sick or when you're going through a difficult time. And That growth, growth group teacher is way more interested than putting a star in some chart um, uh, than, uh, than making a name for himself or herself. Uh, they're looking for future spiritual leaders and wanting to invest in you. For some of you, it might be some quiet neighbor or a fellow church member who's influenced you as you've just seen them be consistent, going to church, loving their family, loving God. Uh, the, the, the odds are great that some of the most influential people in your life have been Christians. If you were to remember 
all of the characteristics that we've looked at in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12, we would have seen what a well-rounded Christian looks like. If you're visiting with us, we're going verse by verse through the book of Matthew, and we've been in Matthew for many, many months. Here's a tough question. I'd like for everyone to answer it privately. Are you influencing others for Christ? Are you influencing others for Christ? Is your faith like the silver dollars of Milton, Pennsylvania, that it is unmistakable that something happened in your life? Is it evident as I look at your life, as your family looks at your life, as others in the workplace look at your life, that you are a Christian? In our text, I only have two points. How about that? Two points, because Jesus gives us two ways to influence others. He says, shake your salt and shine your light. Um, and so let's examine these two methods to influence others around you. And here's influence method number one. Jesus said that you are to shake your salt. That you are to shake your salt. He said this, believers are to be the salt of the earth. Now, as I examine salt, salt serves at least three different purposes. First of all, salt is a preservative. Before the days of refrigeration, meat was packed in layers of salt to preserve the meat until it could be later consumed. In the pioneer days, we read that our forefathers traveled across the West carrying meat that had been soaked in brine to preserve it for as long as possible. I even heard about a modern storage facility in the state of Kansas where, where everything from court documents to original uh, classic film negatives are stored in a salt formation. When I think of salt as a preservative, I would say this to you, that Christians are to be a preservative, that Christians are to preserve society. We're to hold back evil. We are to fight against sin. Imagine a world where there's no Christian influence. Well, listen, folks, you better imagine because it's coming. Because at the moment the rapture takes place, this world will have lost its Christian influence. If we think what's happening in the Middle East by Hamas is vile and wicked, you just wait until the Christians are removed from this world to see what happens throughout the world. The second thing when I study salt, not only is salt a preservative, but salt adds flavor. Um, you know well that just a little shake of salt can dramatically add flavor to a dish. Uh, let me introduce you to my father-in-law, uh, Gary. Gary, would you stand for just a moment? He doesn't know about this, so I'll probably be divorced later. But anyway, uh, this is my father-in-law, Gary, and uh, he comes here. By the way, if, uh, if you've ridden one of our red chariot carts, he and Pete are the primary drivers. They drive a lot, and uh, he comes in early on, on Sundays and Wednesdays, and I, I'm, I'm very grateful for his involvement. He's kind of behind the scenes. He doesn't want a lot of attention. Let's give him some attention. Let's thank him for his service right now. He does a great job. Well, let me tell you about my father-in-law. My father-in-law loves COVID. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? Every time someone walks by him who has COVID, he gets it. And he's had COVID so many times, we don't know how many times he's had COVID. Well, in the process of having COVID, he has lost his ability to taste food. I think that's horrible. And while some had a temporary... You can be seated. I don't want you to get tired there. Uh, you can be seated. Uh, in... 
in, um, uh, some of you had COVID, and, and my wife had it. I, I'll never forget the time. Uh, she just wasn't feeling well. And she said, can you stop? I'd really like to have some soup from Panera Bread. And I stopped on the way home, got her uh, soup and a drink, and I, I took it home. And she said, this tastes terrible. She lost her taste uh, when she had COVID. Well, my father, it must be genetics. Uh, my my uh, father-in-law, uh, he, he's had COVID several times. Now, I'm telling you this story for this reason. The only thing he can taste is what? Salt. And so my father-in-law, if you take him out to eat, you can just, you can, here's how you can save some money. Just order a blank plate, no food, because he carries his salt shaker with him because he uses a specific kind of salt that he can, that he can taste, and he just salts everything, like a layer of, of salt, preserving the food before he eats it, okay? Um, but that's the only thing he can taste right now. Salt is his flavor, um, and because of that, that uh, dreaded uh, uh, virus or, or whatever they call it that he contracted in COVID. And, and um, honestly, if you really want to pray for my father-in-law in a specific way, you could pray that his, uh, his taste buds could be restored. Uh, maybe we're too far beyond that. I don't know. But, but, but if he goes out to eat, he has a salt shaker because that's the only thing he can taste. Can you imagine how terrible that is? Can you imagine salting chocolate ice cream? So that you could eat chocolate ice cream. Uh, can you imagine anything that you want to eat that you can't taste it? You eating something just to eat. Well, that's my father-in-law. I, feel, I really feel bad for him. Um, and you ought to see him salt ice cream to eat it. It's something else. Um, uh, uh, salt adds a little bite to the food. And that's my father-in-law. Salt is very important to him or he wouldn't taste anything. Do you know that Christians always confront worldly views we're always in that where we have to confront worldly views and so christians we are we're to be salty we're to flavor our culture christians should flavor our culture christians should be people uh, that when others are around us that we flavor we add uh, we add taste to what is going on uh, i entitled this morning's message i love you like salt and it comes from a story that I read about a medieval king who asked his three daughters, how much do you love me? Well, the two oldest daughters said they cared for him more than all of the gold and the silver in the world. Well, his youngest daughter, as she looked up at her dad, the, the king, uh, and said, I love you like salt. And the king was not pleased with her answer. In fact, he considered salt to be of very little value. But in that, in, in, that, uh, in that time period when it was very easy to have your head chopped off or, or, or to be killed uh, at, at just at the whim of the king, the cook had overheard the conversation and knew that the child's reply had more significance than her father even imagined. And the cook dared not speak in defense of the daughter, and, um, uh, but, the, but he decided to take matters into his own hands. And so the next morning, the, that cook devised a subtle way to emphasize the true meaning of the young girl's uh, words. And so, as often happened in medieval times, any time a meal was prepared, it was a full spread. This cook prepared everything the next day without salt. And the next morning at breakfast, the, um, the king was eating, and it was so insipid that the king got upset, and he could not even enjoy his food at all. And he was, he was told that the missing ingredient was? Salt. 
sold. And the king finally understood his young daughter's words. It was then the full force of his daughter's remarks hit him. And that is this, is that she loved him so much that nothing was good without him. I wonder about you. Is this world good because of you? Because you flavor the culture? Because you flavor the, the, the workplace where you work? Your home? Your neighborhood? Our church? Third, I see when I study salt, salt causes thirst. It's a preservative. It flavors, but salt causes thirst. People who are exposed to excessive heat, they take salt tablets to increase their body's craving for water. And, and uh, their salt-induced thirst prevents dehydration and death. And we're to be so different from those around us that others would be what? Thirsty for our lifestyle. In other words, Christians cause a thirst for Christ. Has anyone ever looked at you and said, you're different? What's so different about you? Why are you so different? Why can you go through this trial and you have joy? Has anyone ever looked at you and said, you are so different? Well, let me illustrate it. Um, some of you who are a little bit older, you'll remember this. I, I uh, remember this. Um, I was in college in 1985. There was a 40-foot, 40 45-ton, untrained humpback whale, affectionately named Humphrey. The local mainstream media or the local people named this uh, humpback whale um, Humphrey. He became a national celebrity, and uh, he was actually on the news many, many days. Um, what happened is he turned into the San Francisco Bay, he swam underneath the Golden Gate Bridge, and he navigated some 70 miles up the river. And for more than three weeks, Humphrey, he defied all efforts to go back to the salt water. Finally, the marine bi biologists, they, they tried to lure him with recorded sounds of feeding humpbacks, and it worked. And Humphrey responded to those happy humpback, humpback sounds, and he followed, quote-unquote, them back to the specific. The lure of the happy sounds works not only with lost whales, but may I just tell you, it works with lost people. And we have to be a people that is different than the world and lures people and tells people about Jesus Christ. And we need to help people become thirsty for Christ. Well, Jesus said this. He said that we are the salt of the earth. That we are the salt of the earth. In Jesus' time, salt really was a valuable commodity. If you study some 2,000 years ago during the Roman Empire, Roman soldiers were often paid in salt. And that's where that phrase, not worth his salt, comes from some 2,000 years ago. As salt, you are valuable. You are God's ambassador. You are a representative of God. He said this, you are the salt of the earth. He did not say that we may be salt. He did not say that we could be salt. He did not say that we can be salt. He says this, you are salt. You do not have to pray, Lord, make me salty. Help me to have an influence. You are salt. You are influence. And I tell all of us this morning, just shake your salt out. And just as 
Salt is a preservative and, and does add flavor. We too, we preserve and we flavor society. And salt in the shaker is useless. Let your faith be known. Let it out. Let, let your life influence others. This is a direct command from Jesus. Now Jesus says that, a phrase here, that sometimes salt loses its flavor. Or he uses the word savor here. Salt or sodium chloride is a very stable chemical compound. It never actually loses its flavor. However, when it becomes contaminated with dust and sand and impurities and a moisture, uh, you can no longer taste it. Jesus said such salt like that is good for nothing. Does anyone want to stand up and say, I would like for someone just to tell me I am good for nothing. Well, that's what Jesus is saying. If you are not recognizing that you are a preservative, that you're a flavor, that you are to create a thirst for Christ, Jesus says in his own words that we are good for nothing. What does he mean by that? He uses this expression uh, to describe a lazy person. It might as well be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Some Christians, oh, they're Christians, but they lose their influence for Christ. How is that? Is that like real salt becomes contaminated? Christians become contaminated with the things of the world. Um, people look at us and say, well, you're no different than the world. You're not salty. Interestingly, according to a, a, a magazine uh, that I read, it says this, that an estimated quarter of the entire population of the United States that they have professed an evangelical conversion experience is what, how they referred to that. Now, that's all stripes, all flavors. I don't know that that to be true. But here's what William Iverson said. A pound of meat would surely be affected by a quarter pound of salt. If this is real Christianity, the salt of the earth, where is the effect of which Jesus spoke? Imagine if that statistic were true. If 25% of the U.S. were truly Christians, imagine the impact we would have. I submit to all of us, we've lost our saltiness. We've lost our influence because we've become contaminated with the things of the world. Jesus said that you're good for nothing to be, trod, to be put out and trodden under the foot of man. Well, the second discovery method that we have this morning, uh, uh, how we influence others, is this. He says that you are to shine your light. In verses 14, 15, and 16, he says you're to shine your light. Jesus says that we are the light of the world. And then he gives two illustrations of this. He says that we're both salt and light. There's a difference. And I, I think really when you break this down, Jesus is such a masterful te teacher. And if we'll just take the time to, to see what he was teaching about, we would have a greater appreciation from that amazing book that sits in your lap called the Bible. You see, salt works in secret, light works openly. Salt works from within while light works from without. Salt is the indirect influence of the gospel, a godly lifestyle, where light is the direct influence of the gospel, telling others specifically about Jesus Christ. Christians uh, being God's light is a common biblical theme. Allow me to share some verses with you. In Psalm 36, in verse number 9, David says this, For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. 
In 1 John chapter number 1, verse 5 through 7, it says this. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not tell the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Folks, I want to be light, not darkness. So, the Bible says that if I've lost my saltiness, I'm good for nothing. The Bible says that if I do not shine as light, but I say that I'm a Christian, I'm a liar. That's what the Word of God says. Psalm 119, verse 105 says this, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The Bible says in Luke 1, in verse number 79, that Jesus came to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The purpose of light is simply this, is to dispel darkness. Ephesians 5 and verse number 8 says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the, in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We are called by Jesus to shine in the darkness. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9 says that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that we would shine forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Philippians 2 and verse number 15 says that we're to be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Has there not been ample scripture evidence that we're to be a light? We're to shine. We are to be light. Are you light this morning? C.T. Studd, he wrote this. Some wish to live within the sound of the church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. What is he saying? I want to be light. I want to stop people from going to hell. Too many times we simply shine the light to each other as Christians. And, and we have flashlight parties, if you will, at church. We hoard the light. Jesus says, I want you to shine his light to a lost and dying world. Notice what else he says. He gives us two examples here of being light to the world. First, he says that we're to be like a lighted city. Jesus said, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. A person who is a true disciple of Jesus will be evident to everyone. William Barclay, he wrote this. There can be no such thing as secret discipleship. For either the secret destroys the discipleship or the discipleship destroys the secrecy. What a great quote. If you do not mind telling people about your faith in Christ, chances are they already know about it. Some people complain to me saying that they, that they work around so many lost people and they work uh, uh, among unbelievers and it's a very difficult environment that they just wish they could work with other Christians. I say, do not complain about that. Shine your light. What an opportunity to let others know. Do you know that a city has lots of lights. And perhaps that represents a church, each member shining his or her light alongside others. Uh, uh, and maybe that's the illustration that Jesus is, is trying to say here, that we as a church should shine. But then Jesus gets a little more personal. Would you notice the second illustration he uses here? He says this, that we're to be like a candle in somebody's home. Now, a candle in Jesus' day was little more than just a bowl of olive oil and just some type of cotton wick. 
And this was the only means of light in a home after sundown. And Jesus says, the ob- he says something that's real obvious, like no duh. He, he says, uh, uh, no one will light a candle and put it under a bushel. Alexander McLaren said that if you light a lamp and put it under a basket, one of two things will happen. The flame will either be extinguished or the basket's going to be set on fire. Um, It's ridiculous to light a lamp and then hide it. The purpose of our light, the purpose of our lamp is to to light up to all the, uh, those who are in the house, the Bible says. And so covering it with a basket is contrary to the purpose of a light. You do not put a lamp under a basket, but on a candlestick so that everyone can see. Now listen, I don't mean to be offensive to anyone in any manner, but too many Christians are basket lamps. Too many Christians are basket lamps. They go around hiding and camouflaging their faith so that no one else can see it. And may I just say this, you are useless to God if you have a lamp, you're a believer, and you hide your lamp underneath a basket. Jesus said you were saved to shine your light. Friends, I say this morning, shine your light. Now, Jesus encourages us here to let our light so shine. When our, when our light shines, people will notice something about you. He says this, when your light shines, when you are salt, your good works will be shown. What does he mean by that? That word good here does not uh, emphasize quality as much as it does attractiveness. We might paraphrase, see our beautiful works. We live openly and honestly for Jesus Christ. Uh, If that is our testimony and that is our example, people will see the beauty of Him in our lives. They will notice our courtesy and our smiles and our gratitude and our peace and our helpfulness. And uh, and they'll notice our joy. And people will want to know this. Why are you like that? Think about it. When you're in a dark place, all eyes focus on the light, even if it's just a small light. It reminds me of a story that Keith Brooks told. He had just finished speaking to a a group of uh, businessmen on the Christian's responsibility to be light in the world. And he was uh, speaking at a seminar about how the businessmen could shine his lights. And he emphasized that believers are to reflect the light uh, uh, of Jesus Christ to this world. Every one of us, we should do that. Well, after the class, one of the members that were in the class, he related to Keith Brooks an experience that he had had in his home, which just impressed upon him the same truth. He said that he had a basement, and down in the basement, he made an interesting discovery. He had a, a sack of potatoes that was uh, in one of the darkest corners of the basement. And he went down to check, uh, went down to check on something and noticed that one of those uh, potatoes had grown. You know how the root structure grows. And if you leave a potato uh, 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 too long, it starts to sprout things. Roots that if you plant it, it's going to produce other potatoes. Well, he noticed uh, that uh, one of these potatoes had sprouted in the darkest corner. He was trying to figure out how that could happen. And then he noticed that hanging from the, the ceiling there that there was a copper kettle And at some point during the day, from the basement cellar window, the sun would shine through that window and reflect off that copper kettle down onto those potatoes for just a period of time when those potatoes were able to absorb the rays from the sun. The businessman said to Brooks, when I saw that, I thought, I may not be a preacher, 
I may not be a deacon. I may not be a Sunday school teacher uh, with the ability to expound Scripture. But at the very least, I can be a copper kettle reflecting the rays of the sun, S-O-N, and reflecting his light to someone who's in a dark corner. Do you know what? That's what every Christian who works in the secular world should be doing. You should be a copper kettle reflecting the light of Jesus to all your co-workers. The Bible says, when our light shines, people will glorify our Father which is in heaven. We do not shine as lights for ourselves, but we shine for the glory of God. We do not live for Christ's salt, or we do not speak for Christ's light to draw attention to ourselves. We shine because we want people to know that our Father in heaven. I want you to notice something that often gets over. That is this. Did you notice that Jesus gives a guarantee here? When, you, when, when other people see our good works, they... Uh, may glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus means that some won't be saved, but some will be saved. Don't stand in the way of those who would be saved. Let your light so shine that others can see that you love Jesus Christ. Now my time is almost gone, so let me give you some parting practical advice from this, these uh, short verses that we've read this morning. This will help you. Number one, do not overwhelm people with your faith. Do not overwhelm people with your faith. What do you mean by that, Pastor Armstrong? When you reach the salt shaker, unless your name is Gary Eberly, you do not empty the whole thing on your food. You use a little at a time. Do not dump a truckload of gospel uh, tracts and preaching broadcasts and witnessing on your friends. You might turn them off. You give them, you, you be salt. You give them little bits to flavor, to preserve, and to make them thirsty for more. Uh, several years ago, I preached a message called Divine Appointments. And uh, in those divine appointments, you look for those opportunities to share Christ. And when you turn on your light, do not shine it directly in your friend's eyes. You'll blind them. Give him light in the right places at the right time. And if you are shining, guess what? He's going to see it. People look for light. They naturally do it. So be light. The point is, do not hit people over the head with the gospel. On the other hand, do not be too timid to speak to them about Christ. Strike a balance. Be salt. Be light. Let others see that you love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? You sang about that this morning. And literally hundreds and hundreds of people sang this morning. He arose. He arose. And we sang that song. How can we not tell others about him? Number two, do not forget that unbelievers are watching you all of the time. Do not forget that unbelievers are watching you all of the time. A pastor was making a wooden trellis to support a climbing vine at his house. And he was just pounding away. And he noticed a little boy that was watching him. And the youngster didn't say a word. Uh, so the, the, the preacher, he just kept on working, thinking that the youngster would leave. But he did not. And so the pastor became pleased at the thought that his work was being admired. And the pastor finally said, well, son, are you trying to pick up some pointers on gardening? And the little boy said, no. I'm just waiting to hear what a preacher says when he hits his thumb with a hammer. Uh, uh, do not forget, unbelievers are watching you all the time. Now, one of the favorite places that Shelly and I like to go eat, and you can laugh at me if you want to, but I will 
illustrate to you that it is highly valuable to go to Waffle House. Shelly and I, we've gone to Waffle House on our anniversaries. We've gone to Waffle House on Christmas Day. We've been to Waffle House on many different occasions. And Emmy said, you are crazy. I knew there was something weird about you. That's okay. Here's what I will point and illustrate to you. It is much safer to eat at Waffle House than any other restaurant you can name for this reason. They fixed the food right in front of me and I can see it. And so don't tell me you know what's, going, what's happening in your favorite restaurant back in the kitchen. I can sit there. I don't care if they just got out of jail yesterday. I can still watch them fix my food. <laughs> right there in front of me. Shelly and I, just a month ago, we were at Waffle House, and we were having a great time, and we were sitting at the counter. Now, you do have to sit at the counter. I'm saying you don't want to sit in the back of the corner. If you go there because you want to make sure your food is fixed correctly, you sit right at the counter. Try it sometime. Don't mock it. Don't get, don't get angry or think I'm weird until you try it. Um, then you can be weird like me because you'll go back, all right? So, uh, so Shelly and I, we were sitting there just a month ago, and we were talking, and, uh, and, uh, they, uh, and we always engage the people because those are people at Waffle House, they will talk to you. And so we, every time we go, we engage the server, we sit behind the counter, and we engage the cook, and we have the greatest time. Our children have been there. Our children-in-law have been there too, kicking and screaming. Um, but we've been there, and, and we've sat, and we've had some great times, and, and we talked. Well, we were, like I said, just a month ago, we were sitting there, Shelly and I, we got our, we had engaged, we were talking, and, um, and, uh, uh, and, and we prayed, and then the, and our server came up, a young lady, and she said, uh, you don't remember me, do you? And that is such an unfair question. I've met thousands of people in my life, and, 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 and honestly, in that moment, I did not do, know who it was, and, and, um, and, uh, and she says, I used to come to your church, and she just began to open up to us about, about her life and uh, what was going on, and she used to come here, and, uh, and, and uh, she had red hair, red hair as red hair could be, and then I started looking at her, I, I remembered who she was, and Shelly remembered who she was as soon as she said her name, and and, um, and here's the thing, what if we went in there and, um, and we didn't pray over our food, or we were ugly or unkind? That lady, who young lady is a girl, and she's had a rough life since then, but that young lady who used to come here, she used to sit over in this section over here, bright red hair as a little girl, um, you never know, people are always watching. After we prayed, she says, do you remember who I am? Um, and, and people are always watching. They're always watching you. They're watching you in the workplace. By the way, they're watching you for when you hit your thumb with a hammer. They are. People are always watching you. Uh, number three, and finally this morning, do not focus on being successful. Be faithful. Do you know that you can't save a single person? You cannot save anyone. You do not have the ability to save one. Um, all you can do is share the gospel. Uh, the, the, the reality is, is that every single one of you have the opportunity to share the gospel. And if you share the gospel, you leave the results to the Lord or to the Holy Spirit. Be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful until the stars fall. Be faithful. Um, the power of influence. I 
I've heard you already pack up, so I guess I'm not saying anything else important. So go ahead, pack up, close your Bibles. I have nothing else important to say. We'll just go right into our invitation. But I'm, I, I, I am going to say something else. I want to share a story with you to sum up this whole message, the power of influence. You say, I have no influence. Every single one of you have some measure of influence this morning. The story is told by reporter Clarence Hall. Following the American troops, uh, uh, he went, uh, followed the American troops and, uh, through Okinawa in 1945. And he had a jeep driver that was assigned to him. And they came upon a small town that stood out as a beautiful example of a, a Christian community. He wrote these words, Clarence Hall. We had seen other Okinawa villages down at the hills and despairing. By contrast, this one shone like a diamond in a dung heap. Everywhere we were greeted by smiles and dignified bows. Proudly, the old men showed us their spotless homes, their terrace fields, their storehouses and granaries, their prized sugar mill. Uh, Hall reported, and he and his Jeep driver, as they went around, they, they said that in this, this one, only one, only one small village here, that they saw no jails and there was no drunkenness and divorce was unheard of. And they asked, what had happened? And 30 years prior to this, in 1915, an American missionary came, passed through this village, and he led two elderly townspeople to Christ. And he left with them a Japanese Bible, and he continued on. Those two Japanese older men, they began to study the Scripture, and they began uh, to lead their fellow villagers to Jesus Christ. And, and, Jeep, uh, and Hall's Jeep driver was amazed at the difference between this village and every other village that they visited there in Okinawa in 1945. And the Jeep driver said this, So this is what comes out of only a Bible and a couple of old guys who want to live like Jesus. The missionary never knew the extent of his influence. But here's what I say. The missionary was faithful. He never knew his influence. He was faithful. Do you know, sometimes we, as I prayed opening uh, this message, sometimes we need a kick in the seat of the pants. We need a reminder. Be faithful. We allow the contaminants of the world to enter in and we lose the flavor of salt. We allow the grotesqueness of the world to come on the lens of our life or, or, or to hide our, our light. Be faithful. It's time that we as a church be faithful. Folks, oh, we're seeing things that are unprecedented. I don't want to be doomsday, but what we're seeing when we can have tens of thousands of people march in Washington, D.C. and try to tear Washington, D.C. down, it doesn't even make the mainstream media. It appears there's an agenda to destroy America. You say, Pastor, that's in Washington, D.C. That's 2,000 miles away. It's in our country on our soil, and the day is coming when they could be outside our doors. And will, the question will be asked, will we be faithful? So, you know what I think we should do? I think we should be faithful right now and win as many people to Jesus so that we can change Tucson, that other people are afraid to come to Tucson because we love Jesus. We can be like the little Okinawa village that loves Jesus. And has seen their village radically change because of Jesus Christ. Folks, 
We're living in the latter times. I, I, I know that any Bible scholar here would agree with that. We're seeing things that's never been seen before in our lifetime or even in someone else's lifetime that preceded us. It is unfathomable what is happening. Literally, many Bible scholars say that something has to happen within the United States because the United States is not in Bible prophecy. We're literally seeing it before our, our own eyes. The United, Street, the United States is being destroyed. Folks, here's what I want to be. Until the day comes when Jesus takes me home by rapture or I die, I want to be faithful. I want to be salty, and I want to shine as a light. Here's my, here's my question for you. Will you join me? Will you be salty? Will you be faithful? Will you let your light shine? Will you make a difference?